On the podcast today, we're diving into the mind of Rhys Donnelly. Rhys Donnelly is the proud owner of the Theatre School of Scotland and also the Theatre College of Scotland. But you might know him from his time on The Apprentice. My name is Harrison Brown and this is the Into the Mind podcast. If you're watching, I hope this helps. Reese, so I suppose we'll get onto the apprentice stuff really, really soon. But where did this whole journey start for you? Where did the business start? How did you get into this kind of frame of mind as an entrepreneur? Um, first of all, we'll start off by thanking you for having me. Very excited very to welcome. be here. Um, where did it all start? A question that probably I don't think about enough. I talk about this all the time, but I grew up as a wee guy from Glasgow with a very much a big mouth. I say it all the time. One of my best and biggest attributes is um, being able to talk my way in and out of most situations Gift of the as a child. Um, <laughs> I do feel like, so originally I'm from Cambus Lang in Glasgow and I've kind of trained over the years at lots of different places, but I went to school in Cambus Lang and then basically I went off and studied at Drama College and finished off my degree at the University of Sunderland, graduated there and... 2017 or something but this whole journey and tv and this entertainment world that we work in um, i actually started acting when i was about six years old so right. i remember being at school and constantly going for auditions and i was in school with this one boy who now i wonder what he works as but um i remember him being like how many auditions are you going to go for before you get a part and i was like <laughs> seething you know, I was like, you know how hard it was and I think that now that's something that I have consciously kind of worked into the school so started when I was kind of six and then got to about 10 years old had a couple of credits under my belt thought I was far too cool for it all chucked it all in and went to school had plans to be a lawyer or go and study business and then an amazing show called Waterloo Road moved to Scotland and I say it all the time but I firmly believe it changed my life like if that hadn't have moved to Scotland I wouldn't have had that bug again that I had so Waterloo Road moved to Scotland and it's where I met so many of my friends it's actually where I met my business partner at the talent agency now and from there it just kind of grew arms and legs so then I decided to go off to drama school obtain a degree and then worked for a while you know did a tour did some TV work did some commercial work and then ended up opening a business in this field that's interesting so you said there that this is an interesting one so you were you were kind of heavily involved in the acting scene but then you you thought oh it's not very cool anymore and then you started going into law so what th this is interesting because it's something that i also kind of had the same realization of i love cameras that was my my, mm -hmm. my hobby that was my thing and then you get to senior school and you think, shit, it's not cool anymore. It's not cool. It's not cool. I, I think it comes from like, it's so environmental, isn't it? Like mm. years ago as well, there was a certain terminology that, you know, if you went to drama school that you were wearing a leotard and a ballet bar and that kind of used to be like, like that's not really about me, which actually isn't true. But I was very much like an acting actor. I liked to act. I really didn't have any much more skills other than that. You know, I wasn't the best singer until I went to drama school. I really probably couldn't touch my toes until I went to drama school, to tell you the yeah. truth. So I had no flexibility, no coordination, and I had a very shit voice. So it took a lot of training, <laughs> should we say, to get us to where we got to. But yeah, I think that that just comes with being environmental, like being a teenager and looking at yourself and being like, is this what I want to do? But when I was in fifth year of school, I actually applied for drama school and I applied to go to uni to do business. I got into uni to go and do business and then I got into drama school and I went to drama school for a week and hated it. I was like, these people are weird. <laughs> they were all like catching Pokemon in their lunch and I was like, what 
the hell is going on here? They were just so bizarre. But obviously, I decided to stick it out in the... I'm buzzing that I did, to tell you the truth, and that I didn't go and study business. But it's weird how your both worlds kind of collide. And yeah. obviously, growing up, um, I've always had an interest in business, quite entrepreneurial. I had, like, my first job when I was, like, 12. And I think that I say this all the time, but it's like both my worlds kind of collided with working in telly, working with children, and then kind of opening a business as well. And did you think that the, the sort of the head movement towards the sort of law degree going to university was that social pressure of your peers but also your like your parents your family saying you know this is where you should go instead of i because the older generation can't really see how a lot of people are successful mm -hmm. nowadays because how could they youtube wasn't a thing yeah. you know the instagram wasn't really a thing so they can't really see it I, I definitely don't think that pressure came from my family i was the first person from my family i think to go to uni i'll probably be the last to tell you the truth i think <laughs> that you know and i'm sure they won't mind me saying this but we've got many a plumber many a master man, <laughs> and many a you know a laborer yeah. and i think that i was the first person probably to go to uni because i, I loved learning i've always loved mm. learning and even at school like you know, I was a wido at school, I loved to chat, I was regularly told that Reese talks too much, but I loved learning and I was one of these people that was like into everything. I was in the pupil council because it got me 20 minutes at the class so mm. I could go and talk. So I think that all of that kind of shaped me up to go to uni, which I thought was amazing. I had an amazing training in Scotland and um, through the University of Sunderland. But yeah, I don't think I had much pressure from my family. I think they were just pretty keen. My mum always says, you know, if you're happy, you're happy. But I think that, you know, when you look around you and in fifth year, everyone's applying for law or medicine. Yeah. I just thought, oh, maybe I'll apply for business. But I've always been this kind of like, all right, okay, like, I've always been very driven, but I've always had this kind of attitude of like, it'll all be all right. Yeah. So whatever I was going to do, I'm sure I would have given it a good go. Yeah. That's quite, that's quite a good mindset to have. Have you always been quite, would you say you're quite confident? Would you, would you? I think I come at the womb confident to tell you. <laughs> My mum always says, you know, I can speak before I could walk. And when I started speaking, I don't think I've ever shut up. And I think that's an attribute of like, you know, everybody, we're all confident in certain situations. Everyone, of course, has those moments where you're like, <gasps> Why am I doing this? Should I yeah, be doing this? Yeah. Am I the right person to be doing this? But yeah, I think that I have always been a pretty confident person. Yeah. 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 And and do you think that I know that you, you've gone down that your kind of business route in terms of teaching these children how to act and sing and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Does that build their confidence? Do you think acting has part of, of why you're a confident person and why you maybe don't get nervous in certain scenarios? I think that it's probably one of the only extracurricular activities where every week you are expected to push yourself out of your comfort zone beyond belief. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're coming in and it's TV, whether it's theatre, whether it's on commercial, whether you're being asked to be a different person, use a different voice, use a different accent. You know, there's no many other things out there where you're being pushed outside your comfort zone every single week. Mm. Maybe you go to football, you'll be pushed physically, you know, to run faster, to run for longer, to, you know, work on your technique. But I personally feel like the industry that we work in it physically, mentally challenges you every single session, which is amazing for kids. It makes them so resilient. But also, I think it enforces such a community vibe. Like, everything mm. in my class is all about, like, supporting each other. It teaches you amazing morals of, like, you know there's this thing in the industry where everything's cutthroat and it's really no some of my best pals in the world are people from the industry because you support each other through the highest highs and the lowest lows you know some people go from booking a film and living in hollywood for four years to coming back and working at mcdonald's and you know the highest highs and the lowest lows always happen in this industry so i definitely think that training in the performing arts equips you to be mentally strong i mm. think so 
Yeah, no, I, I, I just reflecting on when I was in school. So I never got into uni. It was pretty shit in school. Mm-hmm. I was pretty dead. But uh, but I, I remember being in drama and it's some of the most most fun I've ever mm-hmm. had. And also you do have that tight knit friends and because they're mm-hmm. all involved in it as well. Nobody judges anyone. Yeah. And it's all very much just like do your best and, and we'll applaud you after no matter yeah. what. Uh, and it's a really nice thing. And I think that does build your confidence because you, you, you sh- through another pair of eyes, which is essentially what yeah. acting is because you're not yourself yeah. when you're acting, so to speak. Yeah you're kind of building that confidence and telling yourself you can do something. And then when it comes to the real world, you think, oh, well, I've done it before. Yeah. So I can stand in front of people. I think as well as it's like, you know, you we live in a world under imaginary circumstances. And if you've lived something during imaginary circumstances, then it pretty it equips you pretty well when you go into the big bad world, I always say. Like, yeah. um, it gives you so much more durability and I think it makes people so resilient. So resilient. Like some of my students, you know, most of them probably will choose to go and study this as a career but there's so many of them that are want to be doctors want to be nurses mm. want to be vets and i also think that that gives them like communication skills beyond belief you know yep. we've all had those doctors that can't look it in the eyes and i firmly believe that the theater school of scotland whether we're producing actors or doctors <laughs> we're producing people that will have a communication skill set for life and that's an interesting topic because i was actually speaking to drew before this in terms of nowadays people are so glued to their phones especially children if it's tiktok instagram and at the end of the day all of it's fake and nobody actually not that nobody cares Mm -hmm. but people don't care half as much as you think they care and i think that so many children nowadays are so hooked to their phones that they don't actually socialize out with a hundred percent we refer to them as ipad babies right right yeah yeah, yeah. it's one thing that like if i get an ipad baby to the school we've got a lot more work to do socially we get there and they become amazing people but you know years ago when we grew up we probably grew up in social settings where you played with your cousins and your siblings and you know you were left to actually play and communicate if you go into any restaurant now children have got an ipad and they don't communicate and they don't lift their head Nine times out of ten, they've also got headphones on, so they're actually not hearing adult conversation, which, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a two-pronged attack with that. Should children hear adult conversation? My opinion is yes. You know, I'm not saying that we should be sitting talking about socialising at the weekend and what we want to do, but, you know, verbally, orally, I think that, you know, it totally develops their cognitive learning skills. And when I teach children who have been around older siblings or they've, you know, they've just been with their mum for a lot longer rather than just being given an iPad. They are so much more advanced and I think iPads are great for, you know, reading and sensory skills and all that stuff. But like, I personally think the generation that what we've got now, it takes a lot of work to try and get them to to just see that self-worth because they Mm. watch life through a phone and I can sit here as someone that works in the entertainment industry and, you know, I actively post content on social media but mm-hmm. i don't have my notifications on for social media because i go on post something and leave and go and check it the next time i go on to post something like yeah. and i think that probably where people get that misconstrued and especially children is that like you know it's this ideal life on social media which we consciously as a business try and make sure people know that you know this always isn't real life it's not always like there's a lot of hard work but i definitely think that kids have got it hard they've got it tough now in comparison to what probably we had at school and it's the comparison i think there's a quote that I love that's comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. And I think it truly is because if you compare yourself to people on Instagram, there's someone out there that's always going to have a private jet, a Bentley, (laughs) Ferrari, and you're going to sit there thinking, shit, I should have a private jet. But that's not true. The likelihood is they've gone up to the Ferrari and snapped a photo with Mm -hmm. it and pretended it's theirs. And I think that people, it really affects people's confidence. Do you think that through this acting, through this sense of community that you build, 
you're really boosting these people's confidence they might have mm. otherwise been lacking. 100% and I think that, you know, over the years we have had amazing success stories with people that just don't fit in at school, you know. Uh, one of, two of my probably most amazing success stories had an awful time at school mm. and it's just because, you know, they maybe didn't fit in but because they don't fit in at school doesn't mean that, you know, you can't have a happy, thriving, abundant life. I'm like, you know, 90% of people don't like school. I was one yeah. of those creeps that did love it. I loved that. I loved it. <laughs> Got to go and chat to people all day and chat all night. But I understand that like, you know, socially that might not be the best place for children. But I think that we as adults have a responsibility to make sure that we are cautious of what we put into children's minds. And sometimes mm. also, unfortunately, it's environmental of what they're told at school or what they're told yeah. at home. And I would like to think that the theatre school is a safe space for people to come, grow and see self-worth. And then if we can get them confident and loving themselves then we can start to add all the other layers that make you an actor i'm not saying that every actor needs to love themselves but you need to have a certain bit of self-confidence to walk yeah. through the room and say i deserve this part and i'm worth this i'm worth this yeah yeah and I, but i think that's such a great thing to have i think that if you look um you know statistically and chemically at people that are more dominant uh, and more dominant people by nature are more attractive it's because they have more serotonin in the brain yeah and that is only built by sense of community being more confident mm -hmm. and in more confidence confidence grows confidence yeah so you get a little bit of serotonin you think oh, i can do that and then it's you get a little more so environmental more. like you are and will be the people the five people that you spend the most time with and it's one of the most mm -hmm. important quotes and i am ruthless in that sense like you know if it doesn't fuel me yeah you know I, i'm not interested in it like and i always say that like does this fuel me does this does this feed me it's a question i ask all the time like and people so many people are like oh my god do you not see them anymore and i'm like i genuinely have no interest and mm. in, you know being around people that are going to drain and drain and drain i will always be somebody that will help your pals and help your friends and help your peers to be the best version of them but but see when that becomes to like pull you down and pull you down that's when you need to go do you know what this actually isn't the best thing for me yeah it's interesting ed sheeran had a conversation uh, an interview that i watched and he, he described people as either radiators or drains 100 and he said cut 80 percent of the, radi uh, the drains out your life and add the radiators and you'll have a great life it's so important and like even and this year for me i have had so much learning and what is so hard to probably think about is you sometimes think people have your best interest at heart and like they always say when shit hit the fan is that's when you know that people are genuinely there for you and they are yeah. friends but you know i think yeah. it's so true but for me i think that I am just so lucky to have so many inspiring people around me mm -hmm. and it is a choice though like who you let in your life is a choice and who you let in your head is a choice and I think that if we can teach children to be strong and be like you know what I'm sometimes going to need to tolerate people but I don't need to be those people and spend time with those yeah. people all the time. And when you founded the theatre school and, and, and became the managed director and did all mm -hmm. this incredible stuff firstly who did you have around you that that, that that kind of guided you and helped you through that? But also, what was the most difficult bit in terms of building? I mean, I mean, business is difficult. But. Every day, I'm just like, and I am probably one of the most positive people you'll ever meet. Like, I always try and go, okay, everything in life is a lesson or a blessing. What is this teaching me? And I've just mm. like ingrained my mind to that. But I am very, very lucky in the earlier days of my business. Um, Katie, um, who I talk, I'll probably talk about a lot on this, but we opened our businesses at the same time so mm -hmm. now um we're business partners in a sense of we we really collaborate a lot like our businesses are coincide with each other but katie opened kr management and i own the theater school and now there's we now cross over we share talent we are next door neighbors and mm. we are so much more than that but you need that sounding board and i think we're probably in the past few years 
when I didn't have a team in the earlier days, you need to have people to phone. Like, I was also very fortunate that, you know, so many of my closest friends are actors on stage mm-hmm. and screen. So before I write a curriculum at the start of the year or before I wrote a curriculum at the theatre school, I had to actually do industry knowledge and figure out, okay, this is what my experience is in a job, but what did you feel? Before we start teaching children, whereas some people do this back to front where, mm. you know, they'll be like, I'm a great actor, so I'm going to open my theatre school, when actually that's not always the best thing because, you know, learning and doing are two very different things. So I come from an acting background, but I also taught a lot through different education systems, further education colleges, high schools, primary schools, and it's like, okay, the art of doing and the art of teaching are two very different things and it's how to master that. But I think having that people around you, I say that Katie, like who I probably wouldn't have my business, having a strong financial support around you in the sense of having finance advice is so critical, is so, so, so key Mm -hmm. to those early stages. But having motivation around you, I always say that I would have no interest in looking at Scotland. I probably have no interest in looking at the UK, but you need to find motivation from elsewhere. And I always mm. study American universities and American like drama schools because they're the ones that are going to give me exciting things that are happening over there. Like, There's no point in me looking at you know Sarah's dance school along the road because mm-hmm. she's probably going to be five years behind and you need to think five years forward. So I definitely think it's not a bad thing to look for inspiration across the pond. So so you're looking for inspiration across across one that motivates you. What are the other things that kind of motivate you within your business? What what, what are the kind of plans for you? Are you going to expand? Is the yeah, expansion so we, on we the cards? Released, um, we just released the other day or kind of expansion news. But I think what motivates me is structure, right? Mm. Structure and strategy and results. I'm so motivated by results. So, you know, when children come through the door and they start to progress. So we do two productions a year. We do a large pantomime at um, the SEC, which is obviously one of the biggest arenas there is in Scotland. And then we do a big summer production. And you're motivated by results when you see the student get the result or when I see the result in the sense of my team members or or I'm able to maybe change someone from part-time to full-time or I may be able to offer a freelancer a full-time role. Like there is no buzz than help other people right like if people think that a business is all about you know sitting back and going okay great i'm getting to take this dividend this year mm-hmm. you would be pretty miserable because yeah. you get that once a year if you're lucky right <laughs> so you <laughs> yeah. need to find something One every Christmas. day that excites me and i yeah. think what motivates me is the fact that i don't know who's going to walk through the door and in 10 years i firmly believe i am going to be the foundations and my school is going to be the foundations of the next james mcavoy or the next big name and i'm like That excites me and gets me out of bed every day that I go, okay, today I'm going into a school that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to phone. We don't know if it's Disney. We don't know if it's Netflix. We don't know if it's BBC Scotland to say, have you got this? And I'm like, that excites me. That gets me so excited to come to my work. Whereas if I didn't have that, I would probably really struggle just in the everyday business. And if I was to have a real corporate job that didn't have much of these creative perks, I probably would be very unstimulated. That's funny you say that because that's kind of the same as me yeah. i really nine to five job i i really struggle really struggle with it but if you put me in front of a camera or editing mm-hmm. i'll work four days in the trot yeah. and not think anything of it and it's having that creative outlet have you have you always been a creative person you think um yes and no like i'm i'm really driven by routine and structure mm. but i need creativity like i love i've tried it i've I always talk about this but i once had a very big boy job which we all laugh about in the office because i lasted about nine months and it was the worst experience of my life where was it oh, um i don't know if i'm going to go into that too much because okay. i know that the people know me and i love them as people but yeah. chained to a desk nine to five yeah not for me that's all i've it's got tough. to say i need days at my desk but like today you know 
I was filming this morning. I had a commissioning meeting yesterday. I need to be energised mm. in order to go back and do two desk days. And that's why I employ the people that I do who are experts of that field. Like, mm. if I didn't have an operations and admin and marketing team the way we do, who genuinely love what they do, but personally, I don't love being chained to a desk five days a week. Yep. I find that it inspires me more to be out meeting our casting directors, to be meeting our, you know, the theatres that we are going to be producing shows with. That inspires me a lot more, or going on a day and set, mm. than sitting at a desk answering emails. It's just, it's just no for me. And I think that my team know that we are so much more stimulated by results and seeing the kids actually book the part or seeing the pick, seeing the kids progress through our shows. So, you mm. know, whether it's in pantomime, they think that they can't do it at the start of the 12 weeks and then come the end, they're like buzzing and they want yeah. more. And you've showed them that they can. Yeah, they can. That's cool. And and whenever I see business people, we had a gentleman called Adrian Barker in the show mm-hmm. who's a successful YouTuber. He has a successful podcast. He has a successful business. He's just an all-round successful guy, but he's got ADHD. So he's focusing all these different areas. And what he described is people with the kind of neurodivergency of ADHD have like a just, just below the threshold um, of kind of serotonin or dopamine than, than normal people. And they keep trying to get to that next level. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's eating a chocolate, and if I were to eat chocolate, I'd just keep going because mm-hmm. I'm dopamine hitting on it because I've got yeah. ADHD. Yeah. But if it's in business, you're on the, you're, you've, you've got so many different areas that you need to cover, that's where you're getting your dopamine hit from. I think that I would be lying if I didn't say I get a sick thrill out of my job. Like, I am mm. thriving most when I'm at my work, and anyone will tell you yeah. that. Like, you know, if someone was to say to me, like, what is your idea of a perfect day? I would definitely, like, and maybe it'll take a lot to change this, but... I am wholeheartedly obsessed with my job. I'm obsessed with my work and where I probably am my happiest is building a business and building, you know, my business splits into six really. And I always say this, people probably down, maybe don't understand what it is we do, but the business splits into six streams. And, Mm. you know, so whether it's today I'm focusing on the part-time school or today I'm focusing on the college, soon to be university, or whether it's the merchandise, the outreach, the productions, I've always got something that needs done. And if yeah. I was a business that didn't have something that needs done, I'd probably be pretty bored. Yeah. So I think that's where the setup of my business is just suits the way that my brain works. I yeah. probably have ADHD. I probably, I think everybody that in this life has a certain amount of, you need yeah. it. Everybody's a wee bit yeah. ADHD in them. Like, yeah. And I think that's really normal. Like I think sometimes parents feel like that's a massive thing where, you know, they need to label their children. I'm like, look, we live in a world where the world is changing. We live in a world where people are different to what they used to be 20 years ago. And I'm like, it's not a bad thing. I don't think that everyone needs to be like, oh, my child's got ADHD, so I don't know if they're going to enjoy this. I'm like, if they don't enjoy it, they move on. It's yeah. nothing, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained is definitely what my kind of outlook on it is. What would your what would your tips for people going into business, what would your tips be, your, three, your top three tips for setting up that company? you need to find something that you love doing Mm. every single day. I always say this, but like one of my most thankful gifts from the universe was that I was able to put my passion into a business. And I honestly don't know how I would get up every day if I didn't love what I do. Mm. Like I and the team work a lot. We have three sites, a college, a production company, Mm. and there's always something that needs done. But if you don't have people that love their job, they're going to be, you know, 10 till 4ers, 9 till 5ers that are going to be like, that's great, I'm checking out. And I think that opening a business, you need to do something. It sounds so stupid and so cliche. You know, if you do something you love, you're never going to work a day in your life. But genuinely, I love my job. I also think that so many people 
put this persona out that business is so risky and it's so this and it's so that when okay there's risk there's risk when it comes to finances the risk when it comes to you know so many other factors but i wouldn't say that opening my business was a risky situation like mm. you know i've risked more things like you know I've risking through the airport to try and catch a flight when I'm probably going to miss it. That is a risk yeah. that I've not left the house in time. But my business was not a risk. As far as I'm concerned, there was no great risk to take. You know, you grow at the pace of the business and you scale up at the pace of the business. Like the worst case that happened, right, is I was probably going to, you know, maybe be a bit down on myself. And I talk about this all the time, but if I was to own a product-driven business, right, and I invest in the product and the products don't sell, mm-hmm. I sell the products for cost price and I go back to the person that I was with new skills. Like, where's the risk in that? So I don't mm-hmm. know why we educate young people to think like, business is so risky, you know, you'll never succeed. Most businesses fail in the first five years. I'm like, bullshit. Yeah. bullshit businesses fail in the first five years because people don't love what they do because you know environmental issues because of economical issues yes but i firmly believe if you put the work in any business can work if we are paying for fairy liquid every day and some man has decided to make soap and allow people to wash their dishes with it there is plenty of new product that you can create and there is pre- plenty a million to be made out there <laughs> that's all i'll say yeah i think that's a good point on the businesses that, that you know parents and, and not just parents schools especially the school that i went to you know all businesses fail you need to be you you need to go into a doctor job or a lawyer job businesses don't fail they evolve if you look at what elon musk did he has businesses that fail but now he has Listen, we all need to fail in business right yeah if i was to sit here and say that there hasn't been elements or parts of business that haven't failed like you need to fail right it's like it's it's basic science right mm. if you set every exam there's going to be an element if, if i was to send you back to school right now to set eight hires oh, you're inevitably <laughs> you're going to fail one of them right yeah and that is a process of life right yeah so the in order for you to go a high, higher frequency in the universe the universe is going to test you right and i'm massive on the law of attraction and massive on believing that like listen sometimes we get given a guidance or a sign from the universe but if every business was to succeed then there would be more problems that probably come with that <laughs> but the lessons that come from that people need to start looking at the lesson rather than yeah. the, oh, you know it shut down it's failed and I just think in schools, you know, I look at a lot of success stories. Like if you look at the influx of, you know, these wax melts, right? And I can guarantee you that if I was to be a 16 year old at school and said, I'm leaving and I'm going to create a wax melt company, my teacher would have probably said, you're not doing that. It's not sustainable. And then I walked down, you know, Marks and Spencer's, I walked in Sainsbury's and there's now wax melt companies stocked yeah. on the shelves. So my question is, is anything you do, if you do it well enough, there is arms and legs for it to grow on a mm. multinational scale. So whether it's that me and you decide tomorrow we're going to create a bar of soap or whether it's that we're going to create, you know, the best barber shop in the UK, if you firmly believe that you are the best at it and try and strive to do that, I think that it's like a recipe for success. 100%. You just need to make sure that your customer knows that you are the best Hmm. possible but also i'm like you know if these brands that have been around for years you know business right now is a trend right in my opinion you know owning a business is cool you know being a ceo is cool and i'm like let's revisit this conversation in 10 years and see how many people still think that it's cool but it's like influencers as well 100 percent. you know it's such a subject that i I sometimes don't comment on because like I see so much value and there's so many friends around me that do it and you know what there's so many businesses that are thriving off it but is it a dying age is a question I would ask is it a sustainable career I don't know but we're not going to know that because it's a new product but I think Mm. when we first created I don't know toothpaste 
back many moons ago did people go do you need that or did people go well that's great i can implement that in my everyday life yeah and i think that we live in a society where people are so judgmental going, we don't need influencers well maybe we do maybe they're a new form of marketing mm. maybe billboards are going to go maybe digital screens are going to go and maybe they're going to be in the new way but i think we just need to give it time and i always say like i'm always driven by results rather than other people's opinion. We need to pause this episode of the podcast to bring to you a quick word from our sponsors. Chisholm Hunter are the sponsor of the podcast and they've been going for over 165 years. They're family run and they have 28 to 29 stores throughout the UK. So if you're looking for your next watch or diamond or jewellery, whatever it is, head to chismhunter.co.uk. That's chismhunter.co.uk. We talked previously a little bit about employing people that are better at the role than you were originally and i think that's really important and the ben francis the the, the, the lad that owns gymshark kind of implemented the same strategy do you think that's a really important thing to do a hundred percent like one of the hardest challenges i've probably went through in the past six years of owning a business is you can own a business you can be great at what your product and service is but owning a business and being a ceo are two very different things mm-hmm. and like for me, one of my biggest challenges is to make sure that one, the right people are in the right places, but make sure that those people are motivated, make sure that those people are almost growing the business alongside me. And I think mm. that it would be silly and bad business etiquette of me to employ people that were on the same skill set as me. Um, I personally only teach one discipline in the school. I only mm-hmm. teach acting. So if I was to then try and hazard a go at teaching dance or singing or, yeah. you know, acting for radio or all this stuff, then I wouldn't be giving my, my customer the best product. So we bring in experts for that. And it's like, you know, it's like this. Even now that I work in this world, like I have an amazing team who, you know, I have a fantastic person who is my PR um, correspondent because, you know, I'm good at PR, but I have someone who handles that for me because yeah. she's an expert. Professional. I have someone who, you know, shoots and edits my campaign videos yeah. because they are experts at doing that. I'm like, you know, we just did an amazing campaign. I was just telling this off camera, but I just got laser eye surgery and mm. the girls behind behind those shoots are amazing. They're brilliant at what they do. They're content creators, they're content editors, and my social media and my, you know, online profile is only going to grow by employing the right people in the right places. Yeah, yeah. And how did you find, I think, something that I really struggled with especially because i'm I'm more uh, maybe a little bit introverted as a photographer and videographer and editor i really struggle just say editing is one thing that i salute anyone who does it <laughs> it's like coding isn't it <sighs> i mean i maybe maybe i've discovered how impatient i am uh, the quote that they <laughs> like to say about me in the office is i like things done yesterday and i think that's generally where the frustration comes with editing mm. is just hard so i take my hat off to you it, t- it takes time but i think that yeah, like I, I really struggled because editing is such a personal thing and because it's your business, mm-hmm. it'll be so personal to you and editing was my business mm-hmm. or photography is my business. Did you struggle giving up little portions of that business to people? Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Let's put this in perspective here. For someone who is so obsessed and used to make every single minuscule decision, I knew that mentally i probably had to get out of the business whether that was for a two-week holiday but i was at a point where i was choked from all angles so just before i went in the apprentice i took 90 children to new york i had just opened a premises in the same year that i had invested a quarter of a million pound i opened a second site in edinburgh 
and we were opening a college all within 12 months. The only way I can describe it is I felt choked from all the angles. I was like, <gasps> yeah. out of here. So rather than just, you know, maybe making a list and saying, okay, this is a great idea how we work through it, I ended up on The Apprentice with three months of no phone and no communication with my business and leaving it in the trustable, trusted hands of mm. my staff and, you know, close friends because you're not allowed your phone, you're not allowed anything. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because things don't hurt the way that they used to. Like, I would be ill if, like, you had ordered a, a merchandise and your name was spelt wrong. When in the grand scheme of things, that is a small minuscule error that we can rectify in 24 hours. Yeah. But I would have been ill over that. I'd have been like, oh my God, you know, Lucy's jumpers arrived and there's not a Y on the end. And I'm like, yeah. right, let's not sweat the small stuff here. But mm. going away and coming back to your business with fresh eyes is one of the best pieces of advice I could ever give to someone. Like, look at it like a customer. And I didn't come back to work straight away after The Apprentice. I mm. just watched from afar. And I was like, okay, you're doing this, you're doing it wrong. You're doing this, you're doing it well. This is thriving. This needs to go. Mm. And I restructured the full business when I come back to work from that because I was looking at it from a different perspective. That's really interesting. We had a we had a gentleman called Grant Wilson on the podcast who is the UK director of IWC uh, Watches, who are this multi-million dollar huge company. They're owned by Richmond Group, and he said his job as the director is to have the satellite view. And then you punch in a little bit further and that's the manager's role. And then you punch in a little bit further. So he said that granular detail as a director or a manager will just destroy you. Do you think that's right? The one, my interpretation of that's probably similar to his view, but I always say, okay, let's just rise above this. So if, I, if I'm if i in the office and I go on a higher frequency and live above, look above the full studio, mm. and then if I go again and look above Glasgow as a whole, and then if I go again and look over my other two sites of Glasgow and Greenock, I can back down into that with a much different mindset. Mm. You know, it really isn't that big of a deal or you know it's not life-changing as i said if someone's merchandise doesn't arrive in time or if you know one of my receptionists arrive five minutes late that's not my job to do that mm -hmm. and the biggest thing that i have probably learned is defining roles and responsibilities it's not my job to say to someone take that bin out it's not you know it's not even like you know my head of curriculum's job to do that mm. but if everyone isn't doing their job then that's when it comes to me and i think that's so true it's like you know you can't I can't be out there taking the bins if I'm expecting to be growing this company into opening an English site soon, and that's yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah, and there was an interesting study, and this does have relevance, don't worry. <laughs> There's an I interesting study. <laughs> I love an anecdote, me. It's, it's, they're great. I, th so there was this study, Jordan Peterson talks about it, and they have uh, rats in a glass box, mm -hmm. and they tied a little bit of string to the tail of the rat, and they dangled a little bit of chocolate in front of it. Mm -hmm. And based on how hard the rat pulled towards the, cho the chocolate, represented desire right mm -hmm. so they dangled a little bit of chocolate in front of the rat it pulled and then they had a measure then they wafted the smell of an, a cat in from the back and put the chocolate in front of it and it pulled on average like 40 to 50 percent harder towards wow. the chocolate and the kind of moral of that story is in order to be successful you need to be running towards something the chocolate but you also need to be running away from something what do you think it is that you're kind of running away from in your business is there a fear that you have I wouldn't say running away is probably the right terminology, but I think that if you, if nothing changes, nothing changes, right? Mm. And if I was still to be in the same role and same responsibility that I was five years ago, then we would still be a theatre school from Glasgow. 
you know, I probably wouldn't have now be operating on a, nation, a nationwide scale because you just stay happy and you stay comfortable. And I just always think of like the thing I would interpret that as is like, if you don't try it, you're never going to know. And mm. also great things come from pushing yourself out of that comfort zone. Like that's where the magic happens. Like in every part of business, you know, employing someone that you maybe don't know if you can afford yet, it's a risky try and you know what mm. if it doesn't work it doesn't work like and i think these sort of things you must try things to go on further and you must try things but you must want to progress like i think where people get really static and really like oh my god we're doing great so we must keep doing this and i'm like mm. i constantly think every day like how can we improve how can we improve how can we better and i think the day that when i don't think like that is the yep. day that i will leave the business and appoint a new ceo yeah the apprentice it was going to come up. <laughs> Listen, it comes up more than anything else in my life. And um, yeah, talk, talk like to know. Well, talk me through the process. How I know that. Listen, I have some experience in this. Very little comparatively to you. However, like, how does that process go in terms of them reaching out to you? Do they reach out to you? Do you reach out to them? How how does that go? How does that happen? go about? Um, I've spoken about this before, so it's going to be yeah. no secret to people that know it. But. Um, I have filmed more pilots. I have filmed an abundance of things that just probably are sitting in commissioners' desks. And a few years before The Apprentice, I was approached and followed and was potentially going to be joining something called 30 Under 30, which was going to be 30 people under the age of 30, regionally across the UK, that were going to be put into a very similar apprentice setup. And mm -hmm. it didn't get commissioned. So I was approached through LinkedIn by a TV producer who was like, okay, I think it was after I was nominated for a Young Scott Award. I was about 20. I opened my business at 19. And as I said, you know, I had a couple of ideas, but had no real business acumen at that stage. And they had been watching me, watching me, watching me. And I went and filmed a pilot. It never got commissioned. And then two years later, um, I found myself in Manchester for the Apprentice audition. And the only way I can describe this is nothing's ever felt more natural to me right like mm. i without sounding like a big-headed arsehole i could have told you from the first audition i was going on the show because it was like they just they loved me from the first minute and i loved mm. them like i loved everything they told me but i was like i am in my element <laughs> so i arrived day one and it was like stand up and pitch and um, why we should have you and i thought <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Bingo. <laughs> Where do you want me? I was like, I am loving it. So it was just, it, the only way I can describe it, it was like both my worlds had came together. Yeah. I'd worked on telly, I owned a business and it was like, bang, why did we not think of this years ago? But timing is key and there's so many other factors. So I auditioned in Manchester. I then had a follow-up phone call. I then met the producers on Zoom and then I went to London. I went through every single process that everyone else did. And, you know, although there had been no Scottish people in 10 years, but the only way I can describe it is I never had any doubts that I wasn't going on it. Like, mm. I just knew that I was like, this is for me. I'm like loving it. And if I didn't get on it, I would have been pretty gutted, but there's 10 kind of stages. So some days have three rounds, some days have four rounds. There's phone calls, but um, yeah, I went to Manchester, did three rounds. So you pitch, you meet in at Lord Sugar's advisor, you meet two execs mm -hmm. and they basically tore me apart in my first day. <laughs> um, and I'll never forget it to this day. And, one of my producers is an angel. She is a legend and I could not have done that show without her. And I'll never forget, I met Mandy and she said, um, so there's this big advisor sitting, um, actually the guy who comes to your business when he's going to give you the money. And he went, um, so you're telling me that you're going to be approved to be a college in Scotland. Is there no sort of like academic qualification or some sort of, you know, 
vetting process to do that and I said no I've already done that process which is why I'm here to offer Lord Sugar to be 50% steak and he went can I ask what age you are and I went 20 I was 25 at the time right? 25 and he went so what was the process like and I was like this guy must think that I've literally went on Google downloaded yeah. a couple of forms and filled it in I was like it's been 18 months of me writing the curriculum getting it approved blah 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 and he went hmm wouldn't wouldn't give me like anything and I was like so it got to the point where I remember saying something like, can I just ask what is it you do <laughs> I left and I was like okay maybe not the right approach but when I went to London it was like so bizarre like I just had this feeling that like I loved it I was thriving mm. and I was just in my element and then you get like it's the same edition that everyone gets so I'll be no giving away any secrets but they give you a tissue box and they make you brand it and sell it back mm. um it's these skills that I probably didn't know I had like I had run a business I had did the profit and loss sheet I did all that but it was like both my worlds when I'm standing up to pitch and where I'm running a team yeah. that already do it. I just loved it. And then lo and behold, I got the phone call on St. Patrick's Day last year. No, the year before. I got the phone call on St. Patrick's Day to say I unfortunately would have to spend my summer in London in a 19 million pound <laughs> mansion. And I'll never forget the head of the head of production phoned and she went, Hi, are you all right? I went, I'm good, thanks. And she went, Unfortunately you're going to have to pack your bags and come to London. And I went, so now we all laugh about it because we all got the same phone call. Mm. But after that, there's a massive vetting process that has happened and they take through 30 people before they choose the 16 or 18 candidates. And there's a lot of people that sit in reserve, mm -hmm. which some people might not know. So all of us probably have a reserve that's similar to us or look like us or, or fit the same demographic as us. So um, lo and behold, I got it on the 17th of March. I submitted my business plan to Lord Sugar on the 1st of April and mm -hmm. I moved to London two weeks after. I did a longer isolation in London um, and then I didn't come home until June, end Jesus. of June. And you have no phone, no contact with the outside world during that time. All you have is your pals during that mm. show and I have a lot of head time to think about why you want to be there. But yeah, I loved it. I'm so grateful for my experience and it was just it's like I honestly say it's like a movie it's like you know that doesn't happen to many people yeah, 75,000 people applying 10 million people watch the show every Thursday night it's yeah. it's bizarre did you feel kind of an increase uh, you obviously have these challenges so you go into the house and then you, you go into the boardroom and they get the challenge is that kind of right I thought I was confident till I arrived in that boardroom yeah That's what <laughs> I will never forget day one right so we all basically you can't see each other it's all yeah. secret and you all get basically you're all in hotels across london so that you can't you can't find out who each other are and on the day that you're going in so your phone gets taken off oh, so they, they, they split everyone up so you don't arrive in the same house we don't arrive in the house we arrive at the boardroom and we're all kept in separate cars but the cars are covered so we don't see each other right. um so i'll let you know a, a fun fact on this so i was basically hotel two weeks before and I actually knew that a couple of people were going in and it's like pure big brother here because yeah. it was still in the height of COVID. So we were getting COVID tested every day. So my nurse came and stupidly had left the sheet with all the names on it. So <laughs> this time I still had my laptop because I was like, I need to yeah. work. And I was like, Bradley Johnston. I was like, that boy was in my audition. I was like, he's definitely on this. <laughs> Lo and behold, me and Brad are now best pals. But yeah. basically what happens is you get a burner phone um, mm. for the week of the show and you only have four numbers on it so you have a couple of phone calls home and you're also given productions contact so we mm. didn't know when we were starting to film you don't know what day you go into the house and you get a phone call 24 or 4 hours before and say pack up your hotel filming starts tomorrow so I got a phone call on the Saturday night and on Sunday whatever it was the something of August eh, the something of April 
you get a ring at the door and they say pack your room up you're going in today put mm. your put your entrance suit on so you pack up the room you go downstairs the car picks you up all your stuff's in the back and i was like you know that i had never watched a full season as well so i was just suddenly thinking what the fuck have i done here? i don't <laughs> even know what i'm walking into so i was like i just thought that we would all arrive at the house and then they'd send us natas so like it's boardroom zero we arrived and we're in the cars and i remember me sitting in a kfc car park where there was radios in the car and the radio went and it was like okay we'll have reese round in next so you drive round you get all your stuff taken off you phone mm. laptop everything's already your phone's already away but they take all your suitcases and all you have is your trolley case <laughs> And you have your trolley case and they say, okay, you're going in now to the waiting room of the boardroom. And my producer said, go in and look everyone up and down when you walk in. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I walked in and I was like, okay, not one person smiled at me. And I thought, fuck me, this yeah. is a tough crowd to please. So I'm standing in me being five foot eight, I'm placed beside Mark, who's about 10 foot 10 <laughs> and Simba. I was like, God, I look at these boys' pets standing beside them. So you go into the boardroom and then you get your first grilling. So yeah. Lord Sugar pulls out a sheet and he basically tears everyone apart. You think you're great. You think you're great. You think you're great. And then I'll never forget, he said... Um, Reese, um, you say here that you were nominated as one of Scotland's Young Scots of the Year. Um, uh, you know, you might be good in Scotland, but I would say that something along the lines of trying to make a bit of patter about Alex Ferguson. And I was like, I don't know if you want me to laugh at that, but I was like, yeah. that was not funny in the slightest. I was just like, <laughs> yep, okay. And then he said, um, okay, this year the tourist board have decided that, you know, after COVID we want to increase the whatever. Mm. I am sending you to the Caribbean island of Antigua. I was like, where the fuck is Antigua? I've never heard of my life. So then you pack your bags and you get sent to task. And that's the first time you meet people. You're not allowed mm. to talk until you get put into the cars. So it's like bizarre. You've been isolated for two weeks. Yeah. You've had no phone. And then you get put into this car. And it's like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And it's like, fit, fit, um, you know, it's like survival of the fittest because... Mm. All of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, all these people are confident as hell. And like, I was just like, wow, they are like fighting for it. And I was mm. like, you could sink and swim. And, you know, I, I know some people won't mind me saying this, but some people were like, oh my God, just went in themselves. It's too I, much, yeah. I had a chat myself. I'll never forget going to the toilet. And I was like, you can either let these people overshine you or you can stand up and you can speak out and you can take the reins here. Mm. And I sat in that car and I'll never forget, someone went and did a bit of talking. And I was like, okay. I was like, you want to play that game? I was like, I need to think of a better one-liner than that, my friend. <laughs> and it is like, it's brutal, but you need to be like, well, I had this value, I had that value. And then we were all taken to Antigua and that was just mental. It's like, you know, you've got eight boys hmm. who probably all think they are the dog's bollocks yeah. fighting <laughs> over who wants to be the PM. And the clip that you saw on that was like all of us like looking, which wasn't the case. Everyone wanted to be PM. Everyone wants hmm. to show their worth. But yeah, it's it was it's the most bizarre experience because when else would you walk away from everything you know, walk away from routine and be dropped into Antigua with eight, eight strangers and be asked to make yeah. money? And, and in terms of being dropped in that environment, did you have any kind of imposter syndrome? You kind of described... Day one, 100%. Yeah. I was like, these people are so confident and I'm just like, God. Yeah. But that changes when you start to get the results. Like, and I mean, maybe it changed for me, but like my experience as a candidate, I loved, like I genuinely loved it. I was mm. thriving. And you know what? We maybe made a few mistakes along the way, but <laughs> like the mistakes that come into the boardroom, like I don't think that, you know, I can watch that and go, my business acumen, I am proud of. Mm. I am so proud of myself from watching that show because 
you know, so many people made massive mistakes on there that you go, oh my God, that's that's that can maybe cost them their business. But like, genuinely, when it comes to the tasks, what a time we had, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, we had the best time. When else would me, as an actor and owner of a theatre school, be asked to, you know, go and make bow buns or yeah. go and make a cartoon and all of these sort of things? So it was brilliant. Yeah. It was just such a learning experience. And I came back to that. I came back to my business as a different person. Yeah. So you think that time away from your business was beneficial? 110%. Right. It's the only time it gives you time to reflect on your life in such a way where like you have so much time with your own thoughts right Mm. and we we have a thing which i'm sure you know i can say out loud um we're not allowed to task talk so you might think that we're all busy mates in the back of those cars but if we start talking and the cameras aren't on Mm. then that can end up getting you into trouble because you can't talk about the task if it didn't happen on camera it didn't happen so you have a lot Ah. of time on your own thoughts of like okay like what can i do here to win the task what can i do here to make sure that my team won and you know what can i do here and then that time that on the way to the boardroom or that in between shots of the boardroom when you think Mm. you're going home that's brutal that Mm. is hard and i was the first person to be in the boardroom twice in the season so like there was a lot of like you know i I knew that i probably wasn't going to go home because you know I'm sure that everyone will know from watching the show, but generally a lot of it probably wasn't my fault and it's because, okay, there's three people that need to come in, but it's quite a hard experience. You get Mm. taken for the chat of doom, sorry, fight for your life talk, and one producer will come and say, okay, you've got a potential, you're going home, why should it not be you? And you're like, well, I've never done this and I've done this and I've done this. And then they're like, go in. So they hype you up, it's like (laughs) hype man, and then they bang you back in the boardroom where you're like ready to go. But I just think that, honestly, if I was to reflect on my experience, like, I am so, so, so grateful for the opportunity that I had, like, Mm -hmm. as a Scottish man, Mm -hmm. to go on that show and get to do what I got to do as a once in a lifetime opportunity. And now that I sit here, you know, it was filmed over a year ago. And still to this day, I'm just like, I can't believe that was like, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was hard. It was brutal. We, everyone will tell you this, it's worked on the show, but it's one of the hardest shows in telly because you shoot so much. We Mm -hmm. shoot 100 hours of TV for one episode. 100 hours 100 hours of tv going to one holy episode. shit so you think that like my story that i might think is going to make the cut might yeah. not make the cut because there's so many of us and it's like yeah. we don't know what story's going to go and you need to wait to who's fired to go back with the edit like you guys work in video you'll know yeah if you know if you're going to drop that bomb at the end you need to work back the way yeah so sometimes i was like oh my god they're using that that was a brilliant one liner yeah. i did a brilliant sale there and then i'm like oh strange you know you didn't use me yeah. selling four tickets in Tiga, but instead you decided to use the part where you know the girls are um, twerking on the side of a boat because it's, <laughs> it's more entertainment value yeah. so it's one of these things where i think i was very aware of what the show was in the sense of like i thought it was going to be a lot more of a business show and now that i watch mm. it as an entertainment show right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. but i in my head it's like no it's a business show it's a business show it's a business show when in actual fact i'm like okay me with a hairnet and a beard net on making bow buns how much business acrimon can yeah. i show during that time <laughs> and what was it like so you described this kind of like talk of doom doom so to speak what was it like on the apprentice talking to lord sugar what is he like is some of it for the cameras um, I massively respect Lord Sugar, first of all. I think, you tell me another Scottish entrepreneur that got to spend nine weeks with that guy sat across the mm-hmm. table with him and I'll wait for it, right? So people can say what they want about him, but he is a business tycoon. Mm-hmm. His one-liners get worse as the season goes on, <laughs> categorically, right? I'm like, come on, somebody let me on that s- on the other side of the table <laughs> and I'll give you a bit of patter. But I genuinely respect him so much because him and Karen Brady have earned their stripes to sit there. Yeah. 
But there was a lot of people that were like starstruck. But as I said, I didn't watch the show. I didn't know enough about it. Mm. I've never read his book. I wasn't fantasized by him. I was buzzing about the fact that I was going to get to showcase my business to nine or 10 million people. That was why I was there. Mm -hmm. I was never there because, you know, I wanted to work with Lord Sugar. I was there because I wanted to showcase a Scottish business and a Scottish mindset on screen. Mm. Um, but it was amazing. Like, you know, for me, be running about Brighton and Karen Brady, chasing me or Louboutins behind me <laughs> to see if my asparagus is fresh. It is. No one else is going to be able to say that they've done that. And I'm just so grateful for the experience. I loved it. And I've met genuine pals for life. Like, you know, there's a group of five or six of us who we speak every day. We see each other once a month and we live all over the country. And I'm just mm. like, it's like business boot camp right mm. it's like you go you go to university and you meet friends that you're going to have for life but for us it's like we can phone we can chat about tax we can chat about that mm. we can chat about ideas and you've got a sounding board of people who have been through the mill but there is no relationship like it like as a family yeah because you go through the highest highs and the lowest lows you don't know who's getting fired you don't know who's going home and it's the only show where you pack your suitcase twice a week yeah because you might be going home yeah, and and you kind of you describe this process of some people going in and being so starstruck by Lord Sugar. Um, do you think that the pressure of having ten million people watch you every episode affected you at all? Because it's see, if I, we were behind these cameras, and there was ten million people I knew watching me, and I didn't have a say in the cut, being a bit of a control freak. I would. I'm just going to say this: the best advice I could give to anyone that works on telly is if you don't say it they can't edit it mm. and I worked with a lot of people who said silly things <laughs> ended up in the edit and me being me having the background that I've got you know mm. I'm pretty well versed in what comes out your mouth if you're it's going to come out your mouth you're going to need to take the consequences that say it mm. right which is my opinion on it but god some people were led down the garden path god mm. bless them because they thought by if I say more and if I say this I'm going to get more airtime and like Lord Sugar does not want someone who comes in there and barks like a dog. He wants to see business acrimony. And on the occasion where I'm massively and regally messed up, he totally agreed with what I had to say. He went, okay, you are an expert of this field, but like, where did this go wrong? And I said, well, my character has no hands and feet because the girls were bickering over what hands and what feet to put on. Hmm. I said, so I'm struggling to see here what I could have done if I was in another part of London. And I was like, as a project manager, all I can do is create synergy in the team and put the right people in the right places. And uh, then then you kind of start to love it a bit. But I don't think for a minute I once thought there's 10 million people watching this. You honestly yeah. are so in the task because I was so hungry for it. I was like, oh my God, like I need to get, I need to prove, I need to prove, I need to prove, I need to prove because when you win you're buzzing but then the next day you're back on another task and you know that you could be yeah. the next one to go it is honestly it's brutal because you don't know who's going to leave yeah yeah and it's hard when people leave because you lose people that you're really close to that's exactly that was the next question i was going to ask so you made friends in the process like we lost kev very early on uh -huh. i people might think that like i went on what did i go week seven or eight or something like that so like but so many of them were big tasks that i was there for the majority of the shoot mm -hmm. so you know I came home and then it was like the final like a week later or something or two weeks later so like I was really there for a long time but yeah. you know we shot task one and task two within a week so some people were back home before the postcards had even landed through the letterbox <laughs> and I'm like that's brutal that's yeah. hard but we lost Keb in episode two and I genuinely thought if I'm going to sting you if I'm going to continue in this process he's going to be the one I'm fighting with at the end of the over a quarter of a million pound mm. he for me had so much business acumen he had so much potential and 
it's just the way the game is. He was sent home in week two. How much of it, how much of The Apprentice is, is about luck over actual business acrimony? Because you can have a team that's dysfunctional and that pins the blame on one person that might actually be the right person. I am going to say this. Everything is watched. Everything. The way that mm. you greet people, the way that you look at the camera crew, the way that you thank the mic crew, the way that you hold yourself on set, the way that the execs see you interact with every people. Everything is logged and everything is fed back. Mm. And I would be shocked if I thought that Lord Sugar has ever made many wrong decisions because mm. there's so many things that come into it. Like, okay, you might have regally messed up, but if you've messed up once, you'll be allowed that, okay? Yeah. If you've messed up twice, you'll be told you've messed up twice. What's going on? If you mess up three times, you're probably going to get sent home, but Honestly, the people that deserve to go on in that show deserve to go on in that show. I actually talk about this a lot, but I would have said if I would have looked at it and I hadn't have left under the circumstances that I did with being so unwell, then if I would have picked my finalists, it mm. would have been um, Shannon, who walked. Yeah. It would have been Kev, who went in episode two, and it would have been Danny and probably Rochelle. And Danny, for me, was... I was like, God, she's she's everything that he wants. He She is cheeky she's charismatic she's a go-getter and me and danny kept used to getting compared to the same people on other teams but if i was lord sugar i would have put my money into danny because she was a grafter she was a wheeler and a dealer and she worked hard but mm. you know he must have in those later tasks saw something in marnie that he thought oh my god this is a great business yeah. and i think when it gets to the business plan stages right you know people are quite happy to go home <laughs> They're knackered. <laughs> I mean, I can speak for everyone, right? But it is mentally and physically one of the most challenging shows. Like, you mm. work a lot. And when you get out of there, it's like... Oh. Yeah. But your mind's still doing overtime. You're like, you're processing everything. And now that we reflect on it, it's probably we'll never, ever, ever be in an environment like that. But I think when everyone gets to a certain stage, you're happy to go home. You know, one of my friends went before me and they were like, thank God I'm out of here. But yeah. I can only speak on my... And I love the show. I... I think there is something to be said about how much we work, but I don't know how the show could be formatted in any other way. I respect Lord Sugar and I am obsessed with Karen Brady. I think that she has earned every stripe to sit there. Before we go any further with this episode of the Into the Mind podcast, I need you to do me a favour. Really, really quickly, I need you to hit that like button. I need you to hit that follow button, subscribe button, whatever it is, wherever you are, you have no idea the impact that you can have. It really helps us here in the studio and I'd really appreciate it. My promise to you is that I will make these podcasts bigger and I will make them better than ever. Thank you. And that's what I was going to ask. So, Karen, what is she actually like in person? I mean, you will get a very mixed response from everyone that has been on that show, but I am Team Karen. I was obsessed with her from day one. Mm. She was my first person that followed me in Antigua, and she genuinely protected me a lot during that show in the sense of when I was in the boardroom and, you know, people are trying to say the failure of this task is down in you, she had my back every single time and I genuinely really appreciated that because Lord Sugar isn't on every task mm. and Karen and Tim are and they listen to everything and they log everything and that feedback they give to Lord Sugar is detrimental to your, your process yeah. and for me I don't have a bad thing to say about her I loved Karen Brady Karen Brady is someone that you know when I have children they will be given the Karen Brady book and be told to study that because she is in my opinion an absolute boss she's one of the first CEOs of a football club and I think in the world we live in let's inspire young girls and let's inspire females to go out there and get it and that is exactly what she's doing yeah 100% I think she's absolutely she's just she's ruthless as well like honestly i just remember in the boardroom we'd be like karen come on you can't say that <laughs> i honestly i don't have a bad word to say about her. karen and lord sugar and tim i didn't know tim 
like mm. I didn't know anything about him and he was just an absolute geezer on the show like he was brilliant I met him recently at an awards ceremony he was just like Reese, what's happening <laughs> like he's just but yes you asked the question earlier of is there a certain character and listen we're all there to do a job yeah. is what I would say yes we all need to you only have a certain persona for the cameras. Absolutely, absolutely. And in terms of, I was actually thinking about this as we were talking about the 10 million viewers every kind of, every every episode. That's a huge amount of feedback on social media, right? And it's also <laughs> a huge amount of criticism if anything goes wrong. And everyone fucks. I mean, I've messed up hundreds of times. How did you deal with that criticism? And how did you deal with just fictitious crap that people were saying online? I, I've got two answers I'll say to this, right? You cannot go on a TV show that's viewed by 9 million people, 10 million in a good episode, and expect people not to have an opinion. If mm. I was to sit here and go, this is shit, poor me, you know, Sandra from Les Mahago has called me an arsehole. <laughs> I do not care, is what my approach to it is. I'm like, mentally, I went on there and I was very strong, and I'm just like, look, you cannot be in this industry. I cannot work on telly mm. and expect to be loved by everyone. Like, you know, we don't walk down the street and love everyone that we walk past. We're kind. We can be respectful. But ultimately, I'm like, there's a certain type of person on a social media post that wants to come at you. Yeah. I never got it that bad, honestly. But some of my friends got it, like, for the way they look, the way they sound, the way that they, you know, some of the girls got it really tight. But my opinion on it is this, look. You cannot have your cake and eat it. You cannot get 10 million people watching you in your business and expect to, you know, be a local hero and not expect a bit of stick. That's yeah. part of the job. It's like, you know, you don't become a roofer and expect to not work in the rain. Yeah. I can't work on telly and not expect to get a bit of heat. And I think I would be silly and it would be stupid of me to sit here and be like, you know, poor me, I got someone that sent me a horrible DM. I'm like, listen, life goes on and at the end of the day, these people with dog pictures on Instagram are not paying your mortgage. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's quite an inspirational thing that you've just said because I I know that especially on the Chisholm Hunter YouTube channel and, and and the avenues that I use, I'll swipe past ninety nine of the positive comments and I'll go to the one that says you've got a receding hairline, mate, and I'd be like, fuck, yeah. you're right. I mean, I've got to say one thing: the Daily Mail comments don't get easier, right? Yeah. You know, we laugh about this, but when we were leaked to the mm. papers so there was six of us six of us that were chosen to be leaked to the papers um a couple of weeks before the episode went out and i will never forget to the day i die this the headline read the insta apprentice meet oh, the God. wannabes who are trying to get and i thought great you've been on my instagram and you've chose a photo of me when i'm on holiday and they <laughs> were calling me the candy man because i had these striped swim shorts on <laughs> And the abuse I got hurled underneath it. But I'm like, yeah. listen, the Daily Mail comments are brutal. Yeah. However, I'm like that, listen, the people that are writing these comments are a certain mentality of people that I'm like, mm. I wouldn't associate with them. I wouldn't invite them over for dinner. So I just don't feed them any oxygen is what I've yeah. got to say. And the same goes for press and tabloids and, you know, these people that do all of that sort of stuff. I'm like, you know, what you let into your mind is so, so, so important. These yeah. people would want me to be like, oh, I was traumatised. <laughs> I'm like, look, it's really not that deep. Come on, you fuck. Yeah. We'll all get on in life. Yeah, yeah. No, that no, it's truly inspirational because, I do think so many people let it get them down and they truly 100%. do and it's it's human it's nature not to sometimes when they're like like we always talk about one thing and i'm sure brad won't mind me saying this but um brad got this comment and it was like 
who let the gypsy in with the haircut? And I was like, what? I was like, you know, one, how offensive to travellers. Yeah. Two, I was just like, someone was like, he looks like a 13-year-old gypsy and his suit's too tight now. And then someone was like, you know, he's got a camel toe. And I thought, what? <laughs> like, these people are mental. I mean, I got it, you know, for my yeah. glasses, which I don't actually wear now. And I just like, oh, I got it tight for them, you know. Yeah. There's yeah, only yeah, so yeah. many times you can be called Harry Potter in the www.a. <laughs> but listen, that's life. Yeah. And you live and learn and you kind of like, you just move on from it. I think I think a lot of people now in the, nowadays need to be so much kinder to each other and you, you know you you are very resilient as a person mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that don't have that resilience I, I've said this before but like I am so glad that I have the nature I do mm. where I mean I'm not saying that I'm sitting here and I'm like you know you can call me what you want and I'm not going to be affected of course I will be but I have a certain amount of resilience and go well do you know what do I know this person no yeah. do they know me on a personal level no so there's certain things that I would rule out but that's been years of like self-development reading a hell of a lot of books going to a hell of a lot of life coaches business coaches to be that resilient and I think that there's probably other people on that show that are young that are naive and that were told and promised mm-hmm. you know a golden ticket I'm like, Lord Sugar is not Willy Wonka and he's not giving you a golden ticket to success. And I was very much of that opinion before I went on. I was like, I'm going to need to graft on this show and I'm going to need to graft when I get off it to earn my stripes. Like one of the biggest things since I've came off the show is proving my credibility as a business. And like, Mm. that's one thing that nobody prepares you for. Your business is going to be under scrutiny every day. You know, you're going to have people that's going to want to make out as if you only want to work on telly when, of course, I want to continue working on telly. It's where I thrive most. However, if I didn't work another day in telly, I would still have my business and I would still love my bloody job. Like, I'm mm. obsessed with it. So I think that's where maybe some people went in with a different mindset and attitude to probably a lot of the guys that I'm really close with now. Like, some people, I think, were like, oh my God, this is going to plummet my TV career when it's not that type of show. Interesting you said that. So do you get repercussions in terms of you go on The Apprentice and then afterwards people are scrutinising your business? Yeah, we get called like, you know, there's the bimbos, there's the this, there's the that. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know, again, I'll use this as an example, you know, Owen from Cornwall who's commenting that with his, with his, you know, abuse. And I'm like, okay, let's just put this in perspective here. In order to go on that show, my business, my business accounts, my business credibility, everything had to be vetted to the highest Mm -hmm. standards. I had to get DBS checked. I had to get criminal checks. I had to get all of that done. So are we really a pack of idiots or are there a lot of people that probably get to that stage and go shit I've got something that I can't actually let come out because a lot of people probably don't want their business in the spotlight or they mm. won't want people looking but I think it is very 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 hard because like you know I, I say it again but like I loved it I would do yeah. it I wouldn't say that so I don't think I would do it again but um, <laughs> worse for what you asked for but um, I think that you know there's a lot of learning from it and I think that there's a lot of people that probably need, I always need to say I need to work double as hard if I was just a businessman from Scotland that done what I used to do I would probably have greater successes than trying to lose that reality title yeah. because I always thought it would be a business show and although it's great but for some certain situations I'm just not the right market for that because I've been tarred with that kind of Mm. which is expected you know i'm probably not going to be the face of a global bank at the moment you know i'm probably going to need to continue my ceo um, journey before that happens but i certainly do think it puts you in that business space it's a business show it's it's fun it's you know it's a young business show and, and what happened around the kind of exit of the show the most asked question that i get asked all the time and honestly one of the most boring answers um, i say this all the time and i think that the world would have loved the narrative that came out in the press to be true but i'll say this again and i'll continue to say this i took unwell in dubai 
You know, mm. there's a lot of people that have, I'll say that, in Dubai. There's people that are like, did he even go to Dubai? Yes, they were in <laughs> Dubai. Yes. I took on well during filming. Mm. And this is the bottom line. If you miss a day of filming, you can pick up the next day as long as you don't miss a full task. If you miss a full task, you are ruled out of the competition as per your contract. Anyone that works in TV will tell you the minute a medic is involved, the red tape's out. And it's like, there's a problem. So uh, I was saw by the medics and then I was also saw by medical professionals in Dubai. So, you know, I spent some time with a doctor in Dubai mm. and at the at the time that we were in Dubai, the country was in mourning because Sheikh Mohammed had just passed away. Ah. To not go into too much, but it was 47 degrees outside. Mm. And, you know, as a Scottish man in the heat, <laughs> um, it, but that's all I need to go into on that. Like, you know, mm. there's so many people that are like, oh my God, what happened? It is really, really boring. I took on well when we were filming. I didn't complete the Dubai task. And when we got back, I had to still go to doctors. I had to still go, you know, mm. like I had to go and get medical checks. And then eventually when I was signed off and I was able to go home, they'd already moved on to another task. Like yeah. that's that's all it is. And it, I use Olivia Atwood in her I'm a celebrity example all the time because Olivia Atwood was removed from the jungle and the minute that you're the minute that you're essentially taken out of a TV environment, like, you know, my health was an issue during mm. that point where we were like, Okay, we need to seek medical attention. But yes, there's lots of fun stories out there and that was the hardest part of this full journey, like Yeah. I mean I signed myself up for a business show that I was going to go on and showcase my skills, which I did. I signed myself up to showcase my business, which I did. I didn't sign myself up for a situation where the press were going to twist my words and production words and try and make it make an answer because they can't speak to me. And there's so much that I can say on that now, but you aren't allowed to speak to mm. press, right? If I was to go and speak to press on that week and tell them the ins and outs, then that would have been a whole other show in itself, right? Yeah. And like, look, I said what I had to say, whether they want to believe it or whether they don't, and I say this again and I'll say it 10 times, I welcome the evidence to support the narrative that, that mm. Scottish titles want to run. And I just think that, you know what, it's a great shame because why are we not celebrating the success? Why are we not celebrating the fact that someone went on a show and, and succeeded? So whether I won the investment or not, my intro tape, I say, Lord Sugar, I'm going to be turning over a million pounds by the time I'm 30 and my advice to you is join the party before it's too late. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago, we announced that we're so close to the million pound turnover. They didn't want to talk about that, but they want to talk about a narrative that, you know, oh, there was a rumour that Reese was, you know, intoxicated on a flight, which I can categorically say is not true. Mm. But I think that, you know, it's clickbait, right? Yeah. That, that's what it comes down to. These people need to make money. These people need to make job. And, and I would be silly and stupid to say that, you know, the press aren't going to run what they want to run. The press that run what they run, I wouldn't thank you for a, for a full page spread in our paper to tell you the truth. The titles that I work with mm. are the amazing people like The Herald, like The Insider, like The Business Post. I have no interest in doing a double page spread in one of these rags, you know what mm. I mean? That literally are, you know, I think they still have page three models. I don't know how yeah. we still get away with that. I'm like, you know, yeah. I really, it's not that deep. I don't yeah. care. And I just feel great pity for them. I honestly yeah. do. I'm like, I don't know if they're under such constraints that they need to that they need to make money. Yeah. I don't know if they have a narrative that they want. But like honestly, I really don't care. I'm like, is what I've got to say. It was really hard and it was brutal. And like the only way I can describe it is I felt like my world was literally collapsing in front of me during yeah. that time. But when you come down to it, right? Like, okay, I know what's true. My team know what's true. My mm. students know what's true. The apprentice know what's true my candidates that I filmed with know it was true because yeah. they were all there so 
does it really matter that a Scottish yeah. title want to run a, a, a terrible news? Do you know I think there's, there's, there's a bit of a culture, and I'm going to run a real risk here of upsetting people, but I think it's true. There is a real culture in Scotland that success is negative. And if you were to get a new car and drive round, people go, wanker. But in America or in other countries, they go, well done, Amazing. mate. You've been really successful. Yeah. Honestly, I will say this in that time of that week, hmm. I didn't know how I was going to navigate around that. But I sit here six months later and I go, do you know what? The universe works in magical ways and that was the biggest blessing I ever had that I didn't win the show, right? If I won that show, I would have had to have given him half my business. Hmm. My business has now been, that new business, that was the college that I took on, hmm. that new business has now been trading for 12 months. The business that I had before I went on the show and I don't need to half my wages at the end of the year. And I think that for me, I'm like, that was the universe looking after me, right? I didn't yeah. win the show and I'm so thankful for it. But I also think that there's something to be said and what comes of that is like, you know, when you put yourself in that space, I imagine that Lord Sugar gets a bit of heat. I imagine that Karen gets a bit of heat in the press. Do you think Lord Sugar and Karen are sitting going, oh my God, this paper yeah. from Scotland wrote it. It's really not that deep. Yeah. And I think these you know, journalists probably think that we're all sat at home bubbling. And I'm like, I don't even think we need it. Like, you just become immune to it. It's like, you know, when you sit in the traffic like, and it goes from amber to red, you don't suddenly start crying. You just go, oh yeah. shit, right, okay, great. I need to wait till this goes. And it's like, sometimes that's exactly all we do. And, I actually think that it's going to be something that I'll continue to be asked for life. But as far as I've got to say, I am so grateful for the experience. And now that I put myself in this new space as, you know, a TV personality that runs a business and it has opened up doors for me like I couldn't imagine. Mm. I have, I think I've filmed more pilots this year than what I've had hot dinners because I don't know what the next show is going to be. But I am booked, I am busy and I am blessed is what I've got to say on it. And I'm like... You know, I don't sit at home in floods of tears thinking, yeah. oh God, are they going to run a story on this? So it's funny, there was a, I can't see the newspaper. There was a there was a guy called Josh Collier, one of my best pals, <clears throat> travel content creator, very young, successful guy. He goes to Thailand and he's filming a commercial. He falls off a waterfall, cracks his skull and breaks his pelvis, almost dies. The Somebody leaked to a newspaper that's based in the UK. The newspaper totally made everything up they got his name and said he was drinking and then said that he'd fallen off this you know 100 foot waterfall and lived and miraculously hit a branch as he went down all of it was lies and then they uh, just paid out as soon as they got caught and josh's family got in contact with him they just gave him i don't want to say the figure but they gave him a pretty big figure just to say sorry it's unfortunately that's british yeah. journalism and you know what i think i feel bad for saying that right because in the past six months, I have met genuinely beautiful journalists who are mm. so kind and who are so passionate about their job. And I now have an amazing new PR agent. I have a new agent. And we have this, like, you know, we have a workforce behind me as a brand. So I have the theatre school. I have the college. We have the agency. But I am a brand and I am a business and my own entity. And, like, essentially, what you need to think about here is the same team that I have at the school, I need to have for me. Mm. And you need these people right like you know you need them to think that you know what's happening and what's going on but i honestly think that like there is amazing journalists out there who are tarred with a brush that isn't true but i'm like i just find it so entertaining that yeah. so many scottish people think that that narrative is true like because i just think if anyone knows me 
it couldn't be further from it but i'm yeah. like like i just really know that deep yeah. and i think people think that you know we're all really affected by it and i'm like like come on you know there's a, a title that wants to run a story it's the same story you've been running since january you've still got no further developments on it and you're still using the same you know hearsay of a source and i'm like yeah okay crack yeah. on what's next what's next on the agenda do you know what i mean yeah yeah i think yeah it's, it's just a wild thing that they can they can bend the narrative so much and not be held accountable. Lord Sugar said something very interesting uh, during Brexit. Controversial subject, so I won't get into it. But he basically just said, listen, if I were to lie in my business, I would get held accountable and I'd go to jail. And you've got these politicians that are blatantly lying and nothing happens. I think the same should be said for newspapers. If you don't have factual evidence and you're writing something down that can jeopardize someone's career, why not hold them accountable? But they've never once said they had the evidence, which is how they get away with it. So this is my argument. But, the, but I shout, I, you know, I'm like, well, how can they say that? And like, they've never once come out and said that. They say, yeah. you know, a source told us this, or we think this. But I'm like, they've never once said mm. bang, bang, bang. So they're very tactical in approach. But I'm like, honestly, I'm like, I just don't think we need to give them any oxygen. I'm like, yeah. you know, fingers crossed that we go digital soon and some of these, some of these people maybe need to, you know, find a new role of employment. employment. Yeah. But I'm like, I just think that, I am all about celebrating people's success. I will always be the biggest cheerleader for my students, for my staff, for people around me that are succeeding. And I'm like, that's the way that you would think a title yeah. would want to be. But listen, I understand that they're a business and they need to make money. And I'm just like, let them crack on. Yeah. Well, what do you think are the three lessons that you took from The Apprentice? Did you learn? What are the three learnings that you took from The Apprentice? <sighs> Great things happen when you take a risk. Like... I could not, I would not be sitting here in the position I'm sitting in had I not have went in that show. My business would not be now operating on soon to be a national scale if I wasn't the Scottish guy with the theatre school and The Apprentice. And I just think that, you know, for me, everything is a lesson or a blessing. And for me, it was both like, it taught me valuable life lessons in my business. It taught me to appreciate so much in my life and genuinely, I'm like, it's navigated me into a space now where I'm putting myself in a different workspace. I want to be a business person on telly. I want to work as a broadcaster and it's happening. I'm like, you know, I set a goal at the start of this year that The Apprentice was never going to be the thing that I was going to continue going on and doing. Like I've said it before, but I want to do a challenge show. I want to do an SAS or a Dancing on Ice or, a, or a something. Would be good. I would love to do it because I feel like I did a show where people saw me through the eyes of a of a producer and a director and you know mm. I shot 100 hours of telly and you saw an hour of it and I busted my balls on that show I gave it my all and I don't know if that came yeah. across but I would love to do a challenge show I would love to continue on and you know fingers crossed in the next couple of months that'll have news on an exciting commission that's probably going to take me over the next five years and I'm like it's these sort of things that you know people don't talk about people want to say I heard this what happened on The mm. Apprentice and I'm like great fantastic you keep that but I've heard this is where me and my business going and that's where I'll be going and I think that when you block out all those other voices and just focus on the positivity but I'm like I think people also think that you know oh that's it and that's the journey over and I'm like you know for all of us the journey's just beginning I'm like you know we're now in a different space do I think The Apprentice changed my business absolutely not do I think that you know people probably know my business a little bit more potentially but 
do I think that The Apprentice gave me a motivation and a hunger to be on the other side of that table? 110%. Mm. Do I wake up every day and think, you know, I'd like to be a hell of a lot more like a Lord Sugar and like a Karen Brady in Scotland and I will work until I get that? Yes, and I think that, you know, it was basically like going on a, a business retreat. I went down there, <laughs> although I worked for it, but I'm like, you're basically sitting across from the best people in business and being asked to look at them every day. Yeah. What would you, on a sort of ending note, what would you what advice would you give for people listening to this that have started or are just starting their own business? I think that's really hard unless it's on a specific topic, but, you know, speak to people, chat to people and know that it's not going to be easy. Like, the one thing I will say is, like, try and develop a product or a service or a business that you know and that you love and that you are passionate about. But speak to people, chat to people. My inbox is open for anybody that wants to chat i say this all the time but my sole mission now is to train and educate the next generation of talent and entrepreneurs like you know where i thrive most is chatting to people i'm not sitting here and saying you know i'm an absolute boss ceo and you know mm -hmm. i'm the scottish lord sugar i'm not saying that at all but what i'm saying is if someone has a proven track record that it works speak to them and ask what they think you know they might challenge your own thoughts to make you challenge a part of it and it might be the, the blessing in disguise but speak about it speak about it out loud and go for it and i just think i say this every day but let's live in a world where ha things happen on a big scale mm. and i think we should teach young people that we should teach young entrepreneurs that like let's not think that you know success is opening a store in the St. york center let's think that success is opening 25 stores across the uk and i think that when we start with that small-minded scottish mentality you know get that in the bin and let's mm. think big and let's think how big can we make this yeah and what what, it, what what what's what was the future look like to you um i mean i turn i don't know if i turn 26 or 27 this yeah, year. you're you're a year older than me i'm 25 you're 26 i think i turn 26 this, i think i turn 27 this year and, I'm, and that's where i have to think i turn 27 <laughs> this year and i would love to grow my business nationally we're just about to go out for franchise but i would love to have a work-life balance for the first time ever and I would love to continue to grow working on TV and media. Right now, I'm putting myself in a space where I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what it could be. I don't know where I'm going to be next. And that excites me. Like, yeah. literally, I've been in a kind of six-month period where it's been lovely. You know, everybody's wanted to chat. Everybody, it's about navigating the right choice. You know, I've been offered things in the past six months. That I'm like, hell no, because <laughs> I have a business to protect. I work with children, yeah. you know, as a a good idea for me to go on the telly and do that absolutely not but i think that you know for me it's just about choosing the right thing choosing the thing that stimulates me that motivates me and that i want to do but um i don't exactly know what it looks like i know that i will be back on screen soon yeah. i know that my business will hopefully continue to grow with the best team in the land and i know that i have a business that i'm fucking obsessed with <laughs> Good, but that's exciting. So no, I think that that's where I'm at, and I think that yeah. you know that's that's what keeps me going. And yeah, you just kind of block it. Any other thoughts yeah. that come in? Yeah, and I've got to say, Reese, your your absolute positivity is infectious, and I want to thank you seriously for coming on because um, you've been an open book, and it's been great uh -huh. to, to kind of pick your brains. And I'm sure it's that great. the guys at home will be taking away a load to learn. No, thank you. Thanks for having me, and I hope that if anyone has tuned in and listened to that, as I said, please know, like, look. 
it's always good to connect it's good to mm. network and you know i'm not saying that we're all going to open a business together but it's good to meet other people of like-minded and you know getting in that mind space is just so important and i've been so grateful for that over the years so no i look forward to seeing who the next guest is on and i look yeah. forward to to finding out what people think so no yeah. make sure anyone that's listening tag away share away and make sure you tune in for the next episode i appreciate it mate thanks thank so much. you thank you Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Into the Mind podcast. If it helped, if you took any kind of value from it, please consider hitting that subscribe button, like button, whatever it is, wherever you are, it would really help us more than you know. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.